Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. On this episode, we have some special guests attending. We have Keith and Ariel Amavi Norris. Now, these two are some of my closest friends as well as the best coaches that I've ever worked with. Just to give you an idea of some of the results that I got with them, when I was working with Keith and Ariel, I basically entered into their coaching container having had 20 years of chronic back pain since I was 11 years old. And within three months of working with them, my back pain went down to zero and has stayed at zero ever since. And it's been over a year since I worked with them. They have a vast background in all kinds of healing modalities and are absolutely amazing at what they do. They not only create a very safe, container for you to be able to express yourself in the way that you need to for your transformation, but they also are incredibly insightful in helping you to expand the possibility of what you believe you're capable of. So I'm very, very excited and honored to have them on this podcast, on this show with me today. And I'd also like to give a few updates before we get into the episode. When we're in this episode, we're going to be talking about a training that Keith and Ariel host called Psychotex. Now, Psychotex has been hands down one of the most transformational trainings that I've ever done. And it's a comprehensive training for healers, coaches, therapists, and facilitators. However, at the time of this recording, Psychotex was still the main focus. And now Keith and Ariel have partnered with Zen Stoic to combine the training of Psychotex and the Liberation Leadership Training into the Liberation Coaching Academy, which is a training that we will all be doing together. So if this training is something that you're interested in, if this training is something that resonates with you as you hear it talked about on this podcast, there is a link in the description where you can register for the Liberation Coaching Academy, and it will be one of the most transformational experiences you ever have. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So I am super excited to have you both on here. I know this show has been a long time coming, and I will give you both a quick introduction that is not part of my intro video that I do usually before this, but one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you both on is because my coaching experience with you two as my coaches was the best one that I've ever had in my life. It was truly transformational. I went from having chronic pain in my back for 20 plus years to not having any at all. And the methodology that you use to help me get to that result and help me understand my own self-awareness and how to live within my own design and be aligned with that has changed my life in so many ways. And so I remember when we went through that, I was like, whatever it is that you're doing, like you, like you, I hope you teach it. And it turns out you were in the works to create something <laughs> to teach it. So, so we'll also talk about that today. But thank you both so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So I am very curious. I know the modality that y'all work with is something that, again, I'm very excited about. It is holomorphic therapy. So can you describe what that is for those who have never heard that term? Because nobody besides us in this room have heard that term. (laughs) That's true. Um, So holomorphic therapy is a multimodality system that is built to bring people to wholeness. So, and, and that's really to get them to the depths of healing, to true transformation. And so that covers a whole spectrum um, of, of different modalities and philosophies and uh, from psychology to shamanism and neuroscience to magic and kind of everything in between as kind of the, the high level shot of that. Both of us have studied individual modalities in depth mm-hmm. and whenever you study a a modality, you find out very quickly what its limits are. Mm -hmm. And what can happen, traditionally what happens is people get stuck in a modality because that's what they're trained to do. That's what their certification is. That's what they do. 
and when they hit the limits to that, they're kind of, they don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the goal is client healing, it would be very, very good to have a bridge from one modality to the next modality to the next modality and to know when each modality is effective for the client mm-hmm. and to be able to know when to shift back and forth between modalities to get to the healing mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And again, being on the receiving end of that, like I could recognize because we're trained in some similar modalities, mm-hmm. but then I could recognize where it went outside of what I understood. And I was like, oh, this is new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is very unique. So yeah. it was really cool because I've never experienced a modality that very harmoniously brings in the physical body, the the psyche, as well as the spiritual experience like all into like a single harmonious way of doing things so i thought that was really fascinating to be a be a part of that yeah and we are all of those things and we are not siloed i mean we walk around as this mix of what you say of body mind and spirit Mm -hmm. and so to silo any one of those parts out is to do the client a a disservice Mm -hmm. yeah there are many tools that are really great on their own and they all have boundaries they all have a limitation and part of where we got to this and and in the development is every single person has their own like culmination of experiences and all of these nuances from their you know astrology to their day-to-day life to like all these different experiences right down to their chemical makeup and their body what's going on you know neurochemically what's all of that is different and so if you try to, to, to his point, if you try to silo that, say, oh, well, we're only going to work on this one thing, you can only go so far. Mm-hmm. And finding a, a way to bridge all of those pieces and flow in and out uh, is, is a really, really powerful way to bring transformation. Yes. Yeah, I've noticed that as well, like in some of the modalities. Because like one, one of my original modalities that I've been trained in is NLP, and I know you both are trained in NLP as well. And I realized that while there's so many awesome things about it simultaneously you get to this point where because nlp is very mind focused it starts to become the mind trying to help the mind and that can only go so far right (laughs) Right? (laughs) yeah if you actually look neurochemically what happens in the body um and this was this was my break i don't want to say break from nlp i love nlp Mm -hmm. but when it when this was the boundary that i pushed against was I, my background was more in neuroscience and working with the nervous system. And so when we would go through the exercises of like, well, we'll just clear the, the pain right out of the, we'll do it in the mind. Well, yes, that can work to a point. And often I would see that it would come back. And that is because we get all of these signals that actually get trapped in our bodies. Um, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's an amazing book. And I think it's been misquoted and misunderstood a lot. Um, But if we can understand that we actually have chemical signatures that get stuck in our body, so we can go in, we can do the mental work, right? And we have to allow the body to release that chemical to actually move it through. So there has to be um, kind of a joint piece. And so if you flip the script then and you look solely at somatics, it's not doing the mental side. It's Mm -hmm. not healing... um, kind of that that story that's going with it. It's addressing feelings, that's super helpful. But we have to do it at the same time. Mm. We have to do both, which is some of what you experienced um, in some of our sessions. Yeah, 
Yeah, I remember just creating that link. And one of the, the fascinating things that or distinctions that I got in the first training of the Psychotex training, which we'll definitely get into <laughs> into that today. Um, but one of the, the big distinctions that I got is that the emotions are the connection between the mind and the body. It's like they, they bring it all together. So even in one of the original inspirations of philosophy for this podcast, the stoic side, right? There's typically this talk of like being very mind dominant and having like a strong mind and like, never mind your emotions, or at least that's the, that's like the feel that people get when they're initially going into stoicism, which is highly limiting, right? If you try to deny your emotions, you're denying a whole like set of information for yourself to actually be able to make decisions with. So what is the I guess I would ask ask you to like what how do emotions be that bridge between mind and body and what's the importance of being able to feel through them and explore them in the way that you have done with clients as an example <clears throat> excuse me remember when we went into the cold plunge during the training mm-hmm. right now typically when people get into a cold plunge it's dissociate get dissociate out, get, out. get out of the pain just get as far away from the the uncomfortableness of being in the cold plunge get away from it and you can endure. Yeah, endure, embrace the suck. Endure, embrace the that. suck. You know, they, they do the breathing, embrace the suck. And it could be argued there's a time and place for that, right? People who are engaged in special forces training, for example, that is a way to get through it. Mm-hmm. The last thing you wanna do is associate into the pain and sit back and feel all the fear. That's not what you're there for, mm-hmm. but if you, But if you are now looking at this as an example of someone who is trying to heal trauma, it has to be through the emotions into the body and actually feeling the discomfort, actually literally sitting in the discomfort, which is why we coached people to get in. No, don't run from it. Get in. Are your ankles hurting? Dive into it and see what message is there. What's inside those ankles? What Mm -hmm. What is inside the ankles? Why? specifically the ankles Mm -hmm. why specifically the ankles and not the knees or you know anywhere else on your body so it's a completely different way of using a modality to dive in and find out what's going on Mm -hmm. and i I won't go too far in the weeds here but like when he says okay why the ankles not the knees well where i was talking earlier about things get stored in the body Mm -hmm. there could be a particular emotion that has uh, a pathway that gets stored that's in the ankles and that's what's being activated. Or there could be a specific trauma, uh, remembered consciously or not, that the body is holding on to, and it's trying to draw attention there so that it can release it and heal. And so being able to tap into the emotions, right? So like sticking with the idea of the cold plunge when we did that in training, we had some some students that were like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> this. You know, in the past, this has hurt or, you know, and it's, sure, you don't have to do it, but what happens if you get in? What happens if you feel your feet? What happens if you feel your knees? What ha- And you start feeling, and what happens is we start fully associating into our bodies. Mm-hmm. People don't understand how often, like most most humans are walking around totally dissociated. Mm-hmm. We, it, our society is built on distraction. Everything is like, hey, look over here. Just, oh, well, that's uncomfortable. Let's get away from it. But if we will lean in, Right. If we lean into the emotions, um, to your point of it, it being a bridge, right? Um, it's often taught that emotions and the body and the mind are all separate, and they are not. 
the, the emotions quite naturally are the bridge. Um, mm. And accessing them is being willing to acknowledge them and sit with them. It's being willing to say, wow, all right, this is what's present. This is what's present for me right now. Um, maybe it's, you know, anger or frustration or I feel a little sad or lonely. Um, maybe it's being able to have a, a conversation to say, hey, this is, you know, I'll, I'll tell Keith sometimes, hey, this is what's coming up for me. Uh, it doesn't make any sense, but I need to feel validated. Would you, you know, give me a compliment, right? It can be something <laughs> so tiny like that, but most people won't take that step. But if we'll do that for ourselves, that's where healing starts. That's where we can truly access the emotions. That's where the body can start to heal. That's where the mind, that's where everything starts to come back to say, oh, okay, I, this is this is wholeness. All of me is allowed to be here. And one thing people can do <clears throat> immediately to kind of tap into this is say you're having an emotion of anger, for instance. You might ask yourself, how do I know this fee? How do I know that's anger? Right. And we've discussed this in, in, in LP realm. How do I know? At some point in life, I acted out a certain way and my mom or dad said, Hey, quit being so angry. Right. So now I have a verbal association with a, a something that's going on in my body. So if people can just go through, and this is a good way to come in to the body is begin asking sadness. How do, how do I know? Well, the obvious answer would be, well, I'm crying and mopey and you know, whatever else, but no, go below that. Mm -hmm. What is below that verbal label of sadness? What's below that? There's a whole world that's going on inside of your body and we're only labeling pieces of it. And then they get grouped together and gestalts and you know the whole thing from there but i think that's that's a really fascinating point because what i start to realize in this conversation and this has been a theme that i've been reflecting on lately and it is experiencing the world through thoughts only and not actually being in reality and you know big theme that I've been using as part of reflection over like the last few weeks has been, it's not the reality that's creating any suffering. It's the thoughts about the reality that's creating the suffering and the presence of suffering. It just indicates that I'm attached to a thought in that moment. And so what I find interesting about it is that if one tries to dissociate from their emotions, then they're not realizing the attachment or like the level of dissociation that they're actually experiencing. And again, we start to make decisions based off of stories that we are creating in our head versus actual real feelings about things. And, you know, like, oh, I feel really uneasy in my body, but it sounds like a great idea on paper. So let me just go ahead and do the thing. And those decisions typically don't result well, or if they do, it's like, only for a little bit, and then eventually there's some kind of a fall because you're you're not aligned with reality, or at least your reality in that moment. And the conscious mind is really, really good at creating stories. That's what it does. It tries to justify everything and create a quote-unquote logical reason why this should be so. Mm -hmm. And it will go on ad nauseum yeah. <laughs> ad na in, until you put the brakes on it. And it can go fast. It can go fast. You know some of the stories. Yes. <laughs> and they are very interesting. These <laughs> They're very captivating of attention, which I one thing that I wanted to ask about was 
you know, especially with, I came to you guys because I had a physical pain. Now I had done a lot of work and there was a lot of progress made with the back pain. Like it wasn't at its worst when, when I got to you guys, but it was at that like stubborn last bit of pain that just kept coming back. So I remember for me, the time where it really dropped off and went to a zero for the first time was the first time I acknowledged to myself anger that I had never felt before. And it was anger towards my mom for being sick, for passing away, which as a seven-year-old, I didn't think that that was appropriate. <laughs> so instead of feeling anger in those moments, like in moments where I should have felt angry that it would be warranted you know, throughout my life, I would instead of feel guilt. So somebody would do something messed up and I'd be like, what did I do? <laughs> like, like, how did I mess up here? But, I, but when I was able to finally make that realization, the pain like dropped to a zero that night. And like didn't come back for a little bit, but then, you know, it started coming back, which is when I ended up working with y'all. And then since then it's been like completely gone. So I know the physical body is usually giving us insights and clues as to what's happening. And one of the things that we talked about during the training was um, the model of German new medicine, which suggests that there are emotional underpinnings to the dysfunction that we might experience in our body. So can you talk about that a little bit and how that plays out for somebody? It's your yeah. domain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yes, every single ailment, illness, it has an energetic and emotional underpinning. Absolutely. Um, you can find that if you go through German New Medicine, you can find that through esoterics, you can find there's there's a, a whole history of information. And being able to be in the body to know what's going on. Um, so we, uh, I'll, I'll stick with Hammer's work for now. So we, um, according to Hammer, there are these conflicts, right? So uh, the kind of easiest way to think about this is think about uh, like a, a script that would run on a computer. Right, we have these biological scripts that say, uh, "If this happens, then run this." And so we have things like attack conflicts, or territory conflicts, or refugee conflicts. Um, so a territory conflict might be feeling uh, displaced from, you know, a, a home or a relationship. Right, you go through a breakup. Uh, you'll actually see a if if you look over the studies, you'll see a high incidence of things like UTIs or bladder infections kidney issues when people are going through breakups. Uh, why? Well, that's they have this idea of territory, there's these meanings associated, and that shows up in the body. And so you can, even just by kind of understanding what each part of the body does, you can get a decent idea if you're willing to ask yourself the question of like, hey, hey what's, what's going on? Okay, so maybe there's something going on with the urina urinary system. Hmm. Am I having, or have I recently had, and I'll get into that in a moment, but, but am I having a territory dispute? Do I feel like someone is encroaching on my territory? Do I feel like someone has taken something away from me? Right? Because your body is likely asking you to like, dive into that so that, that resolution can happen. Um, it's holding on to the energy. It's holding on to all, like I said, the, the neurochemicals. It's, it's holding on to everything saying, hey... Like we have to resolve this, but that script gets turned on, right? So this conflict happens, the script runs. Well, in Western medicine, what we say is, oh, uh, I'm having a symptom, mm -hmm. therefore I'm sick. Mm -hmm. Most something's of the wrong. time, yeah, something's wrong, mm -hmm. right? So I'm experiencing a sensation in my body 
that I find unpleasurable, right? This is not comfortable. I, I don't desire this. Therefore, Western medicine tells me I'm sick, something's broken, something's wrong. If you actually look at it, about 85% of the time, pretty close to that, your symptoms are occurring when the emotion has been resolved. Um, and the body, this we actually go through this a lot in, in training, especially when we go into level two. Um, the body actually has this, this flow of when it turns a script on, what's happening. And every one of these scripts is for survival, right? They affect different parts of the brain that have developed at different times. Um, and so when things get, come online, they are for survival. You look at something like um, a nesting conflict, which is it's what we know as breast cancer, right? Um, if you were to take that into uh, the, the animal kingdom, right? Uh, say a baby little baby mammal gets hurt, the mom is going to start producing more milk. That's what that program is for. Well, now you have a more uh, evolved species. So you get humans walking around and our kid goes off to school and now we have an empty nest and we panic that like, oh, we have to, that that system comes online. Something's wrong with the kid. They're not here. Has nothing to do with, but it, it's rooted in survival. It's just our conscious minds are kind of on a different different page. And then Western medicine says something's wrong, and then we get scared, and then we feel grief, and then we see things move around the body. That's what it looks like, right? It's just one conflict after another. So when you can go in and you can understand what's happening in the body, what's happening emotionally, right? Use that, use the body as a blueprint for what's going on emotionally, energetically. Then you can look and say, does something need to be resolved or am I healing? Is something resolved now? Um, actually during training, you may remember that I had the whole thing happen with my throat. Mm -hmm. okay, so I, I taught this one day and then I went into uh, a healing of my throat, uh, which to anybody else would have looked like a pretty severe case of like strep throat. Yeah. Like you're getting sick during the training is right. what the typical narrative somebody might right. say. Oh, I've been talking too much. My throat hurts. My Right. Um, you know, she was full blown. It, it was the Western medicine would have called this strep. Mm -hmm. or, I mean, my throat was literally bleeding. I had ulcers and it was fantastic. And <laughs> all I, the things, it was all the things <laughs> I, I looked at Keith and I looked in the mirror and I was like, Whoa, check out this healing crisis. And he just started laughing. Right. Because I knew that that meant that I had reached emotional resolve mm -hmm. uh, because I understand what's happening in my body. I understand what's happening emotionally, energetically. And being able to just have that lens can empower people to, you know, not be in this constant state of like, oh, this is happening to me. Mm -hmm. Which can right? start a new emotional conflict because yep. the story that we tell in our minds can affect how we feel, mm -hmm. right? Like if I'm not mistaken, we're the only animals that can tell ourselves a whole story and make ourselves sick right. over time. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, the, the idea of psychosomatic which is, is recognized in, in Western medicine. Um, I find it fascinating. Um, Dr. Dr. Joe Dispenza wrote a book called, um, I believe it's called You Are the Placebo. And the whole book is around the fact that in order to actually study and, and validate clinically uh, different medications, different treatments, they have to do triple blind studies because people's minds can actually 
create whatever they think. So they, they're taking a placebo. Oh, oh, well, I'm supposed to have this thing. I take the placebo. I'm all better now. People will actually get better and they're taking sugar pills. Mm-hmm. And so they have to, they have to actually isolate and have these uh, triple blind studies where they're like, some people are getting stuff, some people aren't, and nobody knows, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's just to see what happens because the mind is so powerful. This system in us is so powerful that when we can tap into that and start to truly understand um, like what is going on energetically, emotionally, and allow resolution to take place and not interfere with it, right? I mean, you've hit me with a couple of messages like, hey, this is going on. I'm like, oh, congratulations, you're healing, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, before this podcast, I think I was like sick for like three weeks each week different with something new. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you had just gone through a massive run of resolving conflicts. Yeah, I just, I, I bundled the inner work. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> Very efficient. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I, I said, let me do all of this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of that approach personally. Yeah. Um, it was the first time though I was sick and not thinking to myself that something was wrong. Like I, I wasn't creating new stories like, oh no, and what if this, like, it was just, actually, some of them did come up in my mind, but I had more of a witness perspective to them, like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder where that one came from, because that's not my own. That was adopted somewhere, some somewhere along the way. So it was fascinating to be able to be sick and not actually have the mental fear that something is wrong, mm-hmm. rather that something is actually healing. Yeah. Yeah, there's... um there are some great resources, you know, that that are out there. Um, we're, I'm actually putting some together. You're gonna get all kinds of things in this next training. Yeah. Um, but if if for now anybody listening, if you're willing to just recognize, like, okay, this I'm noticing this this thing happening in my body. What might that mean? Just the willingness to ask the question. Just the willingness to say, okay, well, what if something isn't wrong? What if my body's telling me something? Uh, you can, man, you can change everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. It's- you know, we had a, an incident with my mom recently who was in a severe auto accident. I was hoping accident. you'd tell this story. <laughs> right. Because this is like, I think, a perfect illustration mm-hmm. of what, what y'all are talking about here. And she spent many weeks in the hospital. In and out. In and out. They let her out. go too soon. And knowing what we know working with somebody who's not really bought into this idea right she's in older generation she you know whatever the white coat says is that's what's mm-hmm. that's what's going to play out we get to a certain point and she begins saying she's been in, in and out of the hospital so long she begins saying i just want to go home i just want to go home she was really in despair mm-hmm. at this point now, quick pause. Mm-hmm. Remember what I said earlier about nesting conflicts. It's not just when we now have an empty nest. This is anything around our home. So when she starts saying this, this is a red flag for us. Mm-hmm. We know we know what's coming next. So what comes next is uh, the nature of her, of her accident. The entire right side of her body had been scanned, X-rayed, the whole thing. Whole body. Um, she got T-boned in a mm-hmm. auto accident. So everything had been, I mean, head to toe. We come into the hospital room one morning and my mom says, Ariel, can you check? I feel like I have a lump on my breast. 
They're like, mm -hmm, here it is. Now, we had and, not told her, just, just to be right. clear, we're not installing, suggesting anything. This is a conversation amongst us, not at the hospital. Okay, there's a pretty high likelihood if we don't get her home soon, this is, you know, this is going to be a problem. Or if she gets home and has to leave again, this is kind of what we're, we're up against. So and you can tell the story better because you're the one that actually felt so, the lump. So, so uh, it's important to note here, the way that cancer is measured is typically cell growth and the speed at which the cells are dividing and replicating. Okay, so if they're replicating past a certain number, then it is going to be labeled malignant. If the number is, you know, to a, a different end of the spectrum, then it'll be benign. So, because it's all just cells replicating, that's, that's what's happening. So I feel this mass. I know, okay, she's in a state of active replication, right? Um, I do not want her to get scanned. I do not want her to get a biopsy. I don't, I like, I, I don't want any of that to happen because the authority is the doctor, right? Now, to be fair, the doctor saved her life. There's a time and place for this. I am absolutely not against Western medicine. I want to be clear about that. There are some things where Western medicine is amazing, and there are other places where it is not, and this is one of those places. And so we were actually in charge of her medical care. So we're like, okay, yeah, we'll get that. We'll get that scheduled. And I had it down to the number of weeks we needed to wait because I know how long it's going to take to slow down. She gets impatient. She books an appointment. She's a week early. I'm like, oh. <laughs> she goes in. <laughs> she goes in. She gets this biopsy. And it comes back. I, first of all, the linguistics behind this. So everyone can reject this. But she says, the doctor tells her, well, if you're going to have cancer, this is the best kind to have. Like she won a prize or something. Right. <laughs> right. And yeah. so it's a low-grade, non-invasive breast cancer is, is what the diagnosis is. So they want her, now at her age, the answer in Western medicine immediately is a double mastectomy. Just, we can't do chemo and radiation. We, we're just going to just cut everything off. Let's go straight into, you know, a, a surgery. So fast forward a couple weeks, I go with her to meet with a surgical oncologist. Now I know we've had enough time that this thing should have now gone into degradation. So now instead of a tumor and that fast cell replication, it should have gone uh, effectively uh, like necrotic, right? Where it's going backwards, right? It's, it's getting smaller. So I ask the oncologist, hey, will you do an ultrasound? She's got the pictures from two and a half weeks prior, maybe three weeks prior up in the room and then the machine's right there. And I'm like, she said, well, we just did one. I said, I know. But would you please? She couldn't find it. She was like, this doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense, right? So we had images going all the way through the process of from the time the mass appears to the time that it disappears on its own. Um, in fact, she ended up having to have surgery, but not because of cancer, because they damaged a lymph node when they did a biopsy. And then they had to go take it out, <laughs> Right. Um, but understanding what's going on, understanding what this cycle looks like, allowed us to keep her calm, allowed us to help control the narrative, because what happens often with cancer is, say, for example, someone gets a diagnosis of colon cancer, right? 
they go in, the doctor tells them whatever, you know, this is your diagnosis, this is your timeline. Well, then they're going to have all kinds of feelings about that, right? So if they're afraid, the next thing you're going to see is it's going to show up in the lungs. It did not metastasize. They have a new conflict. This is why we have such a hard time treating cancer. Um, so we don't address the emotions. Right. We don't address the emotions. We yeah, don't. act as though it's a purely mechanical mm-hmm. disease of the body. And we act as though it's uh, one piece jumping, <clears throat> right? That it's this one thing and it's spreading through the whole body. If we will actually address it as if, if we looked at each occurrence um, to say, oh, okay. So take someone that has cancer in multiple places in their body. What emotions are going on, right? What is the body needing help with? Uh, because there's a part of the brain that's lit up that's causing this, that there's a script running. It's running for a reason. It's, it's running to keep them alive. Um, but what happens is if we start overwhelming the system because we get afraid of this and then we're mad and then we're sad and we have all these different feelings, right? The system eventually gets overwhelmed, right? And, and it takes energy. It's not that diagnosis. It's, it's not the cell. It's the diagnosis. It's the meanings associated to it, going back to the language, right? And this is, a, as you can imagine, a super unpopular <laughs> conversation. Um, and I'm willing to have it because um, I'm not a doctor. I don't have a license to lose. And I have seen this play out again and again and again. I watched this with my own grandmothers. That was plural, right? I've, I've taken a lot of people down this journey, and it plays out every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've seen it play out with, with my dad. I mean, he went from having melanoma to having no symptoms in his body. And one of the, the things that we did is I took him through a liberation session. We resolved all the unprocessed emotions. And I, I for whatever reason, right now in this moment, I think I know exactly when the healing took place that he needed and like exactly what part of the session it was. Um, because from my understanding, skin is around being seen, like skin stuff is around being seen. And he had a moment where he, in the session connected and had a conversation with God, essentially like had a conversation with his creator and felt seen mm-hmm. by his creator finally, mm-hmm. yep. which he had never, never had until that moment. And six months later, he had no symptoms in his body whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And like, we made a lot of other changes to reinforce like this new way of life as well. But there was nothing there. You know, people say the worst place to go for your longevity is to go into the hospital. That's kind of the running joke, right? Mm -hmm. It's probably true. Yeah. Because where of all places are you just going to be inundated with things to be scared about? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one after another. New stories, new narratives stacked on top of each other. And doctors that don't speak to each other. Right. Right. So things get missed and, and, and things build, um, you know, it's a, in, like I said, in some ways it's very beneficial and in other ways it's very detrimental. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's knowing when to the time and places mm-hmm. to rely on certain methodologies and right. when, to, yep, when totally. to go to others, you yep. know, and mm-hmm. thank God for Western medicine. My parents wouldn't be alive. Both of them right. wouldn't be yeah. alive. Um, now we can go into why did they call that in the accident mm-hmm. itself, which is a whole other, whole other podcast. I'd say. <laughs> but I um, think one of the thing that's interesting that I, I wanted to ask about, and I think there's a perfect segue here is 
a diagnosis and like what <laughs> that means and why, like what effects a diagnosis has on a person's image of self or their ability to have sovereignty. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So let's take a, a child with ADD, mm -hmm. right? The child goes in, um, the psychiatrist, you know, does whatever they do and puts a label on them as being ADD or whatever the label might be. Mm -hmm. The child's not dumb. They talk, they can go online, they can read all of what does this mean to be ADD. Now I have an identity mm -hmm. to this diagnosis. Now I become that. And we're tribal beings, right? right? We are looking for belonging. What is the one thing? So we are hyper-connected. I'm doing air quotes for the listeners, right? <laughs> we're hyper-connected through screens. We have no real community and connection like a tribal belonging anymore. Like that is something that our society is rapidly losing. So you take a child, like at a deep level, they are craving that. So they are going to look... And adults do this too. This is not this is not just children, right? They're going to consciously or unconsciously look, okay, what does this mean? They're going to consciously look for what it means. And unconsciously, they're looking for their tribe, right? Uh, they're looking for who do I belong with. The word diagnosis, if you actually break down the etymology of that. So gnosis is the, this knowing. It is to know oneself. That is what the, the word gnosis means diagnosis is the day of knowing language has it builds everything around us right how we perceive the world is deeply rooted in language so even unconsciously if if i asked you hey could you do the etymology of diagnosis if you couldn't the collective unconscious can mm -hmm. and so there's a there's a strong association to it so when we are given a diagnosis we are literally given an identity that is what that translates to it is the day of knowing oneself wow <laughs> that's why when we just you know we have general practitioners saying oh you have anxiety or depression or right they they mean well right but they're just gonna give a diagnosis they're given an identity and then all the cascade that comes from it right hey, you get endowed with a a dysfunction of some sort. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you, now you own this, you have mm -hmm. this. Right. It's part of your identity. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, right. it's in fact, it's who you are. Mm -hmm. How in many fact. people identify completely identify when they'll tell, Oh, well I'm, you coach a lot of people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Oh, well I'm this and that they'll, they'll actually use the diagnosis as I am mm -hmm. statements. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was <laughs> going to say. They, they become, I am depressive. I am fill in the blank, whatever yeah, that anxious, diagnosis is, right. whatever, whatever it could and be. And yes, yeah. you know, Guess you will happens. be what you say you are. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. So I want, I want to talk about a few terms that came up in the training that I think would be <laughs> really great to discuss here. <laughs> um, one of them I think is important, especially for this right, around identity, which I think the counter to, these diagnoses, these identities that we adopt is through absolute sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about what that means? Well, at its core, absolute sovereignty is I am responsible for everything 
that will happen in my life and that has happened in my life. Everything. Everything. <laughs> Which is a jagged pill to swallow for people mm -hmm. who have gone through traumas. Right. And I get it. And when we work with people, we don't lead with the hammer right off the bat. <laughs> it doesn't work so well. I tried it. <laughs> I don't like that. But as, as we're working with people, we move them towards that. Because on a certain level, we all incarnate to learn lessons. And if you go back even further, we choose our incarnation and we choose our path. We choose what lessons we want to learn in this spin. Mm -hmm. And so if we look at it from that way, I chose every obstacle I ran up against in life. Mm -hmm. Right. And I can say that now with clarity and, and with ease and every, and every benefit, every, everything, 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 everything. And in that way, I become completely empowered for my life and my life's direction. I don't look, you know, to the government. I don't look to anybody or anything. It's me. If there's hardship in my life, I called it in. I may ask for what purpose. I may go through all kinds of spins. <laughs> and ultimately it comes down. I called it in. Mm -hmm. And if I know I called it in, okay, I can sit back and go, for what purpose? What is the lesson? What is the lesson in this, whatever the hardship is? And it doesn't have to be all hardship. It would be all the beautiful things. Why did I call Ariel into my life? Because I love taste. me and I have great taste. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you can get to that point, if you can get your clients to that point, mm -hmm. there is nothing that they can't do at mm -hmm. that point. It's getting them to that bridge. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's been huge. I, I think about, I remember hearing this quote when I initially got into personal development and coaching, which is that our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate, but that we are powerful beyond measure. And I was like, that sounds nice, but what does that mean? <laughs> I'm like, why would I be scared of being powerful? So was, well, it turns out <laughs> that <laughs> you're scared of being powerful or people generally until they decide to claim absolute sovereignty will be scared of their own power because it also comes with total responsibility of yes. everything that's the that has come into flip. Your life. Yeah. yes right now i have a, a whole thing on this but i'm very curious like y'all's perspective what's the difference between responsibility and fault because i feel like people are assuming Actually, fault. Oh, perfect. well let, let's get into it <laughs> so so fault is something we are conditioned to believe in because we have been told, like, from the time we incarnated, you're not allowed to have authority here, right? God gets to have authority. The school gets to have authority. You know, all these, all these people, your boss, your parents, everybody has authority over you, right? You, you don't have that. Like, you're not allowed to have this. Um, and so if we're not allowed, I mean, you know, as we're, as we're being raised, if we're not allowed to take ownership and to be sovereign, we are automatically kind of pushed out of that. And the only thing left is people will project things and we interpret it as, as fault or blame. The reason that we don't lead a client session with absolute sovereignty is because if we do that, most of the time people will immediately shame spiral. See, this is all my fault. It's, it's not about fault. Right. They have to be on, on firm footing first of, 
even getting into there is it's a long it's a long process <laughs> and we don't lead with it because of that because people uh, immediately say well it's it's fault so in the same reason you know in, in nlp do mm. you ask why or do you say for what purpose <laughs> say for what purpose <laughs> exactly so fault is kind of the same thing it's like fault falls into that why category um, it creates this room for spin and so we just establish with people like look if if i'm going to if i'm going to claim this if i have the ability to do this then i have the ability to do everything and it, it, this being it doesn't matter if it's um, desirable or undesirable results in my life if i'm going to claim one i have to claim both right and that's that's the hardest thing if you can get somebody to, to step into absolute sovereignty this is where the health changes this is why you don't have back pain anymore right this is this is where things change um but it's understanding that fault is a uh, a conditioned belief that something is wrong it ties right right into shame yeah and it could also once again become part of that identity mm -hmm. that somebody's carrying mm -hmm. this fault is just a concept about reality but it is not reality right, right? it's a story it's mm -hmm. a, but a story nonetheless that can create emotions mm -hmm. and conflicts <laughs> within right. a person so speaking of this idea of sovereignty and fault and shame and all this i tell me about the drama triangle as i remember this was a wonderful learning for me <laughs> what is the drama triangle so the drama triangle, every interaction that we have, every interaction that we have entering everybody, including us, we can put ourselves in one of three positions. We can put ourselves in the... Caveat, we can do one of four positions. One of four. One of four. <laughs> one is Traditionally, outside. One, of, one right. is outside of the drama triangle. Right. And the rest, what he's about to describe, is the triangle. Right. And that is a preferred position outside of it completely just observing it and going, huh, that's neat. That's cool. What happens with most people is they get caught up. They can play, they can play either one or multiple positions here. So you have someone who is a victim of whatever circumstance. You have someone who is the villain, someone who's causing, causing the pain to the victim. And then you have what was my, used to be my favorite position, the victor. Mm. I come in to save the day. I'm familiar with Here this. Here I am to save the day. <laughs> and, it, and we pass these energies just back and forth. Well, what does that set up? It's very disempowering, first of all, especially for the victim. Completely. I just completely gave all my power away. To the villain. To the and villain. To the victor. And to the victor. Mm. I can't I need, solve my own problems. I need you to save me from mm. this bad person. Mm. Right. And so these energies just get pinged back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now, if you look at the political arena, for instance, that's a perfect, so if you want to see the drama triangle in action, look at that and look at the people who are involved in that. There's always a victim. There is always a villain. And who plays the victor? The government. I'm here to save the day. And it just gets passed along, passed along, passed along to the point where the victim is constantly looking to the savior or the victor to save me. I'm disempowered. I can't do anything about it. I need... I am anything but sovereign. I am anything but sovereign. And these, these energies just get passed along, passed along, passed along. They put people, and I would say they know what they're doing, but that's I have a little thing against <laughs> the government, which I'm working through. 
That's my own drama triangle. (laughs) Which is a great point. We are not there yet. There is no there to get. There there is no there. There is just improvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this this has been one of my boogaboos for a while because if we know if there is an energetic attachment to something, if there is a rile up factor, if there is a charge to it. It's something in you. And so it's, it is something, always something in me. And this is something that I've worked through with Ariel's help because she'll be like, well, that's very interesting. You have little charge to just about anything, but that you bring one? up the man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Light <Yeah>. it up. <laughs> and so I've done lots of work around that. So then if I choose, I can dive into it and start, start asking. You know, I can begin to do psychic gnosis on this and dive into it and really, okay, let me tease these threads apart. Why am I giving my power away if I say I'm a sovereign individual? Why am, in this instance, why am I giving my power away? Why am I in the triangle and not outside of it as the observer looking at what's going on? Yeah. What am I secretly gaining from being in this triangle? Exactly. (laughs) Right. So being in that, that fourth position. So if there's drama and it, this drama does not require other people. It sure doesn't. It's that I think it is an inside job. And I think that's always something I find fascinating in, in the coaching uh, work is people because we're, we're conditioned, right? Going, going back to the, okay, what's the, the idea of fault versus sovereignty? Well, look at our society, look at how it's set up just that. Right. Unconsciously, you're collecting all that information like we are we're inundated with it. And so this idea of, OK, well, I can't be sovereign because I need someone to save me. I, I need the government. I need, uh, you know, fill in the blank. To take the observer role is to say, OK, I am sovereign and I am choosing to recognize that I created all of whatever I'm experiencing, witnessing. I called all of it in. So. I'll take all three roles at the same time and step out and then the drama stops and drama can just be any active story loop that is no longer serving. If it's not moving you in the direction that you want to go, you're probably in a triangle, right? And so by simply taking full and complete ownership saying, okay, I will stand in absolute sovereignty. I'm going to step out of that. Things start to change. Oh yeah. Big time. Now, there is a caveat to that, to taking all three positions, because if you take all three and stay <coughs> in the triangle, then what happens? <laughs> well, actually, a lot of people are there anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, you can pretty easily be in a role where on one hand, you're being the villain because you're perceiving a villain, right? You're, so, But you're going to act in a certain way towards them because they're the villain. Well. Mm from their vantage point that would make and this can be parts as well so Mm. when i say it does not require other people i I have caught myself doing this with my own parts Mm -hmm. so um you know you can take multiple positions but if you're not taking it in terms of like and i'm out Mm -hmm. um, then you just jump from one spot to the other or you play multiple spots at the same time Mm -hmm. Uh, like a martyr Mm. is pretty much all three at the same time and remaining in yes. the triangle, yes. not getting outside. Right. So martyrdom, if you really start to peel that apart, every single facet of that triangle is is kind of existing at once. Um, 
So by by being willing to say, nope, I'm going to step over here, that's where the story stops. That's where the drama stops. That's where... Um, the martyrs are very fun to be around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really enjoyable company. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, sure. working through that triangle, it it's an uncomfortable process. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Because it... If, if you dive into it and you sit with it, you start to rub up some very inconvenient truths that you find in yourself. In my own case, I, in going through this, and to go back to your uh, Marianne Williamson quote, I found that, ooh, this is really ugly. Why do I have a charge to it? Well, partly because I don't trust myself to be in that same position and wield that same kind of power without doing the exact same thing. Hmm. That is something to sit with, right? And then you can go deeper and deeper into that, which I, which I do at times. It's very uncomfortable. Absolutely. And it's very effective to go in because then you can really start teasing these pieces out and these parts out and you can deal with them. Very much so. Real quick, for those who are unfamiliar, what is a part? (laughs) (laughs) So everybody, everybody, everybody (laughs) is not just their ego, although their ego... That one point of knowing oneself. That one point of knowing, they're not just that, although the ego is very adept at saying, I'm the only one here. It tells all kinds of great stories to keep that true. What's actually going on is our psyche is fractured into multiple pieces, multiple personalities, and taken to the extreme, multiple personalities. All of those reside within our psyche. And when triggered, certain parts will come online. These parts can have their own agenda. They can have their own set of beliefs and values. They can, they can even act out and so they can even act out in a change of voice, change in attitude, a, cha- a complete personality change, change from the outside. Uh-huh. And that's all fine and dandy. We are a conglomerate of all of this. The key is to be able to keep those parts under control, mm-hmm. keep them part of you because we don't want to push them away pushing them away and going back to you and push it away. They're going to rule you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the key is to call these parts forward. certain whenever they become evident, hear them out with the ego being in charge. The ego is kind of the barn boss or the, the committee chairman, whatever, whatever, you know, the, the, um, we have an analogy of a bus driver, and a person that's kind of the uh, barn boss on the bus. Oh, the chaperone. <laughs> a part starts getting really yes. on the bus. That part wants to drive. That part thinks it can drive the bus better than the driver. Mm-hmm. And it's got all the reasons why that should be so. And sometimes they actually get control of the, the bus. And that bus goes careening off in a way that ultimately what we would call then is fate. I don't know why this happened. Yes, it's those parts are what a lot of people know as impulses. Right, <laughs> yeah. Well, and like if you ever look at somebody, um, like have you ever seen somebody that dates the same person again and again but with different faces? They have a part that has a belief. That part has a story. And every time they start into a relationship, guess who takes the wheel? 
this is how it's going to go. Oh, he's going to do this. She's going to do that. And they're looking, they're looking for that thing. They're whatever that part believes is why they're going to go through the whole cycle, the same thing again and again until they resolve that part. Yeah. That part is like, step aside. (laughs) I know this route. Yeah. And what happens is this is not, um, until we make it. So this is not a conscious act, right? Um, we're just kind of going along life and a part of our psyche comes online. You might, you may hear people talk about doing like inner child work. Well, that inner child is a part, right? Um, there are parts that are formed when we go through something traumatic. There are parts that are formed when we go through something spectacular. Like there are all of these things. They are these little fragments of our psyche that make up the stories that we're telling ourselves all the time. And so, uh, I like to treat my parts like kids, right? If I were driving down the road and I had a, you know, on the interstate and I have a, a five or six year old in the back seat, that's like, Hey, I can drive. I'm such a good driver. I'm not going to let that kid drive 70 miles an hour down the interstate. I'm also not going to tell them they're an idiot. They're horrible. And I, I'm gonna be like, Oh, I bet you're an awesome driver. And one day you can show me, but not today. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm going to let them talk though. And if we will allow our parts to express and we will allow and and give some conscious awareness to them, that's where we get to move towards wholeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very important to know too that each one of these parts has the person's highest good in mind. Mm-hmm. They're not here to self-destruct. They're yeah, not there's here to, positive intent there. There's yeah. positive intent. They might just be going about it a way that does not play out well in your reality Mm. or take you to the direction that you ultimately want to go. Um, and so that's the key to bringing parts together and having a conversation with these parts and integration into, right. Into the the whole, right. Because there's always, you can filter up. There's always a higher good, a higher intent. Mm -hmm. And that is a way to bring these parts together and not to push them off into the sidelines. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think what's really fascinating about this is that the parts that we make, like you were saying, that we make unconscious end up ruling your life and we call it fate, right? Because we're disowning and shaming the parts. In other words, like shoving them into the shadows of our mind and being like, you don't get to talk. And then in those shadows, they grow into like this monster that creates self-sabotage. And people are like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Well, (laughs) there may be some things you're not acknowledging. (laughs) So there's that. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're very parts uh, positive household, <laughs> Heather <laughs> and I. Yeah. <laughs> so, so sometimes, like if I'm like acting like quirky or weird, Heather will be like, "Are you in a part right now?" <laughs> and I'm sure you can imagine her saying. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, we we have fun with it, and uh, which I feel like again, if you're looking at them as though they're like kids, which a lot of them are like kid versions of you. That's where a lot of them are formed. Right. As as we're growing up and they're going to also operate in that, that level of psychology, which is why to Keith's point, their methodologies might not make a lot of sense in, you know, the, the field of logic Mm -hmm. or, or how things play out. But yeah, if you can be playful with them, they feel seen and heard and life goes a lot easier. Oh yeah. And they come online at, at a time, let's say a trauma occurred to a child, a part came online to deal with that trauma, to keep them safe, to keep them safe. Right. That part was a, was integral to them getting past whatever event it was. 
but now it is part of the overall psyche. And, and that part brought with it neurochemistry. The body did what it needed to do to survive. The, like whatever happened, it all worked together. So that part of our psyche and our body kicked that script on, right? Those are those are deeply linked together. That's, yeah, that's super fascinating. Mm-hmm. And people that's a, can that's have, a whole other podcast right it, there. It is. Right. <laughs> people can have dominant parts too. Mm-hmm. I have a part we jokingly call Mac. Mm-hmm. Mac is blue collar. All he knows is work. If there is a, if there's a problem, I'll just work my way out of it. Work longer, harder, just work. I might not even know what I'm doing. Dig a hole, fill it back in, but I'm working. <laughs> Do something physical. Right, that's, is absolutely that's, not kidding. <laughs> There's nothing to do here, but I'll dig a hole. <laughs> sometimes I will wake up and we have, we have a routine at home. It's very, we ease into our work day, mm. which is not max no. <laughs> MO at all. M- most days it goes, it goes beautiful. There's some mornings I, I, my feet hit the ground before I'm fully awake mm-hmm. and Mac is online. <laughs> ready to he do he is ready to, he's going to turn around. He thinks he's going to do something, mm-hmm. even if it's wrong. And Ariel will recognize that and she will go, good morning, Mac. Good morning, Mac. <laughs> How's it going? What is it that you need to see today to get you to just. To be, to feel to safe. Feel, feel safe okay. and fulfilled and that you've, that you've contributed. And we'll have this discussion because if I go into full Mac mode, that creates an environment. Cheryl mode. <laughs> she will go into the Cheryl mode, which is kind of the mirror of Mac. Well, for me, my experience, and so uh, just for anybody that's not familiar with parts, when we actually do parts work, we allow our parts. We ask them, "What like, what is your name?" Right? Because it, there's. There is an association at an unconscious level somewhere. And by allowing them to have a name, we're bringing them even more into conscious awareness and recognizing that, okay, this is a part, right? So even to your point of Heather being like, are you at a part right now? (laughs) Right. And what happens often in relationships is parts play off of each other. Right. And so if I don't say good morning, Mac, and, and, and we don't have that conversation, if I'm not really uh, aware and I'm not really leaning into myself, Cheryl will come online. And Cheryl has this story that Mac needs to work because I'm not good enough and I didn't make enough money and like fill in the blank. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And what will happen is I'll be acting out as Cheryl without recognition and he'll be over here being Mac and we're no longer Keith and Ariel because we're not driving the bus. Mm. Right. And then this is where conflicts happen. This is where, but by, by simply saying, Oh, good morning, Mac. Right. Or if, if, if I'm, I have, I have many parts, um, one he calls Rumple, um, <laughs> you know, and he'll recognize when that part is present. And so by just having a conversation and playfully, you know, having some playful banter and I always, uh, we're actually both really good at, at this, but I'll look and say, you know, Hey, Mac, you're loved and accepted here too. Right, like you're welcome here, um, because they can sense, right, that that part is an, its own being, and until we fully integrate it into our psyche, it's gonna create some, some stuff. And yeah. you know, this part was created at a time in my life when that was needed. Mm-hmm. Correct. There was yeah. a time in my life where you know it was manual labor. It was 
work, make more money, and that's how you get ahead. That was that was the, the environment yeah, I grew up in. It was very functional for it was for functional that, that for that time. period. It's not functional anymore. In fact, it's a it's a detriment for what we do now. But yeah. I still love that part. I don't shun it. We have mm-hmm. fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so all I, of you is welcome, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and now that we do that, mm-hmm. Mac might like pop in. It's usually first thing in the morning. Like Mac's an early riser. He is. <laughs> he wakes up just a little bit before Keith sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> In and fact, <laughs> Mac does not sleep in <laughs> at all. It's ready and, to go. It's ready to go. Yeah. Since we've started acknowledging him, he'll like he'll be there, and then he's not. And there's a lot more peace. There's a, a an ease to getting things done. And there are times when we need to, you know, actually get a lot of things done. I'm like, hey, Mac, we need you, man. Mm-hmm. And man, he's there. He's oh, typing he's, away. He's doing yeah. his research. He's like, oh, I thought you'd never ask. Right. <laughs> right. Ready and, to, to, to get to it. Yeah. Now, imagine if we didn't know this. Oh, just turn if I didn't know, I just woke about up. Conflict oh, and it oh, would, woke up I, on the wrong side of the bed, all, all that. Oh, yeah. I mean, all the there stories. would be, uh-huh. yes, all kind. You know, she would spin up her stories about being inadequate, not being able to, you know, do her part or carry her part of the, whatever. I'm supposed to just have all the things. (laughs) And this is what happens generally in relationships, right? You couple that with the inability to communicate clearly and yeah. Giving away of sovereignty all at the same time. I mean, all the things. things. (laughs) They all start to stack. This is why we blend all the systems. And yeah, it makes perfect sense, especially when you say it that way. And I know when we were having a conversation about parts, uh, we talked about the ego. Now, I love this conversation because I've never been a proponent of like your ego is bad or your ego is your enemy. Like, I think that's ridiculous. Right. Especially... What's all the rage today in the spiritual community is getting is is, yeah ego death and getting rid of your ego and it's like first of all your ego didn't die because your ego is telling me this story right now about how your ego died so your ego took a nap but my ego is more evolved it's totally dead (laughs) (laughs) my ego died said the ego. But I thought uh, y'all had a really fascinating perspective on the ego and its role with the parts. And it actually is a very um, heartening perspective around the ego. And actually, because I think just the idea or the aspiration to, you know, throw your ego out by taking a tug on your bootstraps is ridiculous. So what is the function of the ego relative to all the parts? Right. So in trying to explain the the human psyche is a difficult process because it, it's beyond words, right? It's like a psychedelic journey. It's just, it's beyond words. You can't really bring it back in totality. But the way I see the ego, the way we see the ego is the ego is that central entity that is or should be the committee chairman of all the parts. He is the one who he or she is the one that is in control. It is the one that's calling the shots and it is extremely powerful, right? We talk about killing the ego. I, it's a horrible idea because, <laughs> in the, do that. <laughs> <laughs> because in the absence of ego, what happens in all the parts show up, all the parts show up at and once. At <laughs> once. There's a mutiny on the ship, mm-hmm. right? So being a Navy guy, I like to see the captain of the ship as being the higher self. Mm -hmm. 
just underneath the higher self is the ego. This is the executive officer. This is the one that, that you only get to see the captain if you come through me. Because the captain's got a lot on his plate. If you want to address the captain, you have to come through me. In the absence of that executive officer, anyone from the ship could just bum rush the captain. So the ego plays that role in my explanation of the human psyche. So he is extremely powerful and he wants nothing more than to serve the captain. That's his, his highest elevation is to serve the higher self. Mm -hmm. Which this just had me have a, a funny realization, which is you've seen this, I'm sure when one person is accusing the other person of having ego reality of probably what's happening is one part of that person is accusing another part of being in the ego, none of which is true and causes all kinds of unnecessary conflict. There's a lot, lots of projection going back yeah. and forth. And, yes. Yeah. So I, what, one of the, the things I really wanted to ask today and I'm excited that we're getting to this point is about this, this one term. Cause I, this really blew my mind and was funny at the same time which is the fortified blind spot. <laughs> <laughs> what is the fortified blind spot? <laughs> oh, oh, are you looking at me? Yeah, I'm looking at you. Yeah, so the fortified blind spot, um, put simply, is when we have something that is absolutely running us and we don't see it at all. And what typically happens where we see fortified blind spot most commonly is in the coaching world. So it's typically unconscious, not always, sometimes it's very conscious. Um, it's typically an unconscious move, but what happens is someone has a wound, they have a trauma, they have something that they push up against in their life and they start looking for answers, right? They start looking for resolution and they learn some things, they learn some tools, they learn some tactics and they get just a couple of steps ahead of maybe a few other people. And then all of the sudden, they are the expert. As soon as someone pays them for advice, and sometimes it's not even paid for, sometimes people just say, oh, hey, you know, I know you were dealing with that. How, right? How did you do it? It is this immediate fortification of, oh, see, I got it figured out, right? Because actually truly resolving is often uncomfortable. It's often a process. And so what we see happen a lot is people will uh, start, you know, they'll be the relationship coaches. I see relationship coaches all the time and knowing what's happening behind the scenes is like, what, what are you doing? Why, why are you, why are you teaching relationships? Because you're like in the middle of a divorce and none of this is figured out. And it's not, like I said, there's a, there's a line of where it's happening unconsciously and then, okay, well, yeah, this is happening and we're, we're making these conscious decisions, but it becomes this whole world of I'm, I'm the expert in this thing and therefore I don't have to heal it. Mm -hmm. I, don't I don't have, have to deal with that. I can just help everybody else. Right. Deal with I'll it. help everybody else. And as long as I keep helping everybody else, they'll see me as the expert and no one will notice, including myself, that this gaping wound is driving everything in my life. Oh yeah. And yeah, the coaching world, I think is where you see a lot of that, whether yeah. it's relationship coaching, wealth coaching, health. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you've seen it all, mm -hmm. <laughs> right?
where it's a, it's either a blind spot or a blind spot that I've spackled. <laughs> not, not, I'm now not a, dealing with it. <laughs> a little duct tape. Yeah, it'll be fine. It's fine. And I'll tell you, it's, it's tough because we, when, whenever we bring a client in, we are bringing in our projection. Mm-hmm. It's an aspect of us. I have noticed that as well. It, <laughs> like, it oh, never fails. Okay. <laughs> so if you really want to get into deep into coaching, that is going to be present. You, well, you don't have to, don't we have choose to, to yeah. work on ourselves repeatedly because client comes in. I guarantee you, they're going to bring something up that we're like, Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh. and sometimes not immediately. <sighs> right. You know, we've had clients come through where we know about how long it will take to resolve certain things. And if we hit that point and we're not seeing the progress, we will do a deep dive with each other. Okay, where do you see this in me? Because we're both bringing a piece of it, right? So where is this? So I'll ask myself, where is this in me? And I'll ask Keith, where is this in me? And he'll ask himself, where is this in me? And he'll ask me. Where do you see this in me? Because if we don't resolve it in ourselves, that client, they're not going to resolve it. That client's success is directly tied to your level of ownership as a coach. Which is one of the reasons why I respect and regard the training that y'all are putting together and now that I get to also be a part of, um, why I hold it in such high regard. It's because it is one that is coming from a place of being congruent you know, as within, so without. And so knowing that as long as you resolve what's within or you, you will resolve at the same pace that you want your clients to be able to resolve. So the more you look within and ask, where is this showing up in me? The more capability other people who come to you have that ability to heal, which I wanted to ask. And, you know, before we wrap up, I really wanted to talk about this one last piece here, which is psychotex. Right, the training that essentially everything that we've talked about so far in this podcast is really a part of. It's part of the the whole psychotex framework and, and system. So, number one is who is psychotex for, and what is it? So, psychotex is for coaches, healers, therapists, facilitators that want to hone their craft, that want to actually be able to provide transformation to guide people as we don't provide it we show them how to get it for themselves right but to have the tools and the resources um that you're not running up against the boundaries of every system that you know how to flex and flow and uh cover mind body spirit their interplay and to to flow in and out of techniques uh, that's who it's for um and it's, I would say that it's outward facing, right? We give tools for people to work with clients coming in, but as we just discussed, it's inward facing too. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you have this projection come into you and you reach a point where you're like, I, I've had the very uncomfortable experience of having to tell a client, I don't know when I resolve this in me, I can help you. Mm-hmm. I think that client but, was Victor. <laughs> but until, until it's, what do you know? <laughs> now fortified blind spot. I could have gone, Oh, well, exactly. Yeah. Which in, yeah. To, just to that point around like the power of psychotext being something even for the person learning it, I would say that I've made more progress in my inner work that I've done on my own without a coach because of the tools and skills I learned in Psychotex 
than any other time in my life. Like I've been able to be self-sufficient because of what, what was learned there. Like there's, it, it allows you that no matter how lost you feel, you can always find your way with these tools right. and like the way that y'all yeah. have taught them. So I just want to say that as like a testament to how powerful mm-hmm. the ability to weave in and out of different modalities and to know when to switch is for a person's own personal inner work. It is as above, so below. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, the, we are calling these clients in. If you look at it this way, we are calling certain clients in, in an attempt, our higher selves are calling this in to resolve it in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we resolve it in ourselves, it'll resolve for the client. Mm-hmm. But to take that 100% for us, we ownership. Show them how. Yep. And that's, that's tough. I mean, that, that means that we continually have clients coming in, which means we are continually working. When we leave here today, I'm the conversation going, I'm sure we will be working. <laughs> There'll be some things. It's a 24 <laughs> seven operation for us. That's it right. always is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know that many trainings, um, are designed or, uh, it's, it's implied that when you go through this training, you'll do some work on yourself. You know, I've, I've never seen a training advertised that was like, well, you know, you won't get any benefit from this on your own, only professionally. And I would like, um, just to, to reflect what you were just sharing. We spent so much time like orchestrating the class to bring transformation for each student, each participant, um, as individuals so that you have those tools for yourself first and foremost you have the resiliency you have the everything that you need and that makes you an exponentially better coach or therapist or facilitator um and that that level one program for us is really like it's the the cornerstone of moving towards becoming a holomorphic therapist um we don't actually let people just come into the higher levels, right? Uh, you can apply for level one and level two, but level three is by invitation only. And there's actually a, there's a wait time because as you start to move beyond, this is when you start moving towards becoming a holomorphic therapist. And we desire for people to really understand that when they get to like, oh, I, I have this problem, I would like to seek counsel. I would like to seek help. I need a holomorphic therapist because they're one that's not operating in fortified blind spots. They're, they're really, truly doing the work. We want that to actually mean something. We want that to be, um, we want our students to, to live that before they get to go on to the advanced, you know, the advanced stuff. Which I, I think is brilliant that that's how this the the system is being created and one of the reasons why like i align with it and why you know i i wanted to be part of its growth and creation is because of that there i mean like there have been a lot of other training systems that i've been to different coaching companies and personal development that you can essentially just buy your way through all the certifications but you'll see a lot of people that despite having master level certifications or trainer level certifications in different systems are not living it. They're not living what they're teaching. They are not embodied in the teachings. And this is 
the first thing that from its inception is being created as like the person who's facilitating all of this work and using all these tools, the only way they were able to get to that point is by embodying right. the teachings. Yeah. And when we first began talking about, you know, were, were we going to put together training to teach people what we do? The first thing Ariel said is I will not, not now, not ever, teach a modality unless I am living it. Mm -hmm. I, it's just, that's a hard stop for me. That's a hard no. Yeah. And so we do every bit of this every day. And you can attest to this. What did we ask in class? If you see us not living it, call us out. If you see, if we have a blind spot and you see it, we want you to call it out. And that's not because like, oh, we're spectacular. I mean, we are pretty awesome. <laughs> and that's, that's not I the point, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? The, the point is we desire to lead transformation, right? And the only way that we can really do that is first, we have to live it in order to truly lead. And the students need to do the same, right? This is how we create change that lasts. This is how we create true transformation and allow people to actually find wholeness and healing. And, you know, at the end of level one, people will be a better coach or therapist than, I mean, like just, I don't even know how to quantify. <laughs> um, your skills will be up leveled so much. Um, level two is even beyond, right? And so for those that don't wish to go all the way through to, to become a holomorphic therapist. Every level up levels you and your ability to guide others and your ability to earn income and your ability to, to heal yourself, right? It just gets better as you go. Yeah, and it essentially prepares you for anything a, a client can come to you with. Yes, right? and they can and come to you with all kinds of things. All sure kinds of can. things. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I would definitely say, you know, like if there are people listening to this who is experience incessant negative self-talk or limiting narratives that no matter how much work they've done or how many books they've read or coaching that they've done, it keeps going that this is the type of training for them because it'll actually allow you to pull the thread on all of that and get to the root so that you may release that. Or if somebody continues to experience patterns of self-sabotage, which are probably parts, <laughs> if you continue right. experiencing self-sabotage, I'd say like, this is the training for you as well. Yeah. And, and to that point, I mean, <clears throat> um, we have people go through level one that are not coaches or, you know, any, they have their own life. They come just for them to heal and transform. And that's amazing too. We, we love that. Um, yeah. These tools yeah. are for, they for are everything. for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, I always talk about on this podcast the whole metaphor of the warrior in the garden, how, you know, the samurai master with his student, his student says, you know, you talk to me about living a life of peace, and then, you know, you also prepare me to destroy people in battle. So, like, how do you reconcile the two of these? You know, why not just tend to the garden here? He says, because it is better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in the war. And for me, in our modern day, right, we don't, we may not be literal warriors who are always having to, you know, defend our village or whatever the case may be, but the the warrior today or the modern warrior of what we experience in, you know, this truly miracle of of like a way of life that we get to have without having to be in constant conflict um, in certain parts of the world 
the way that we train ourselves as the warrior is through understanding of the body, mind, and spirit and how to truly have sovereignty in all three realms and not have to give that sovereignty to someone else. And psychotex is, is the path to truly having that within the person. Yeah. Mm. So well put. Yes. yes. So mm. if, uh, if somebody's interested in applying for the training or, you know, learning more about psychotex, uh, where can they find you guys? Uh, they can go to psychotex.com. Um, there's information and there's also, uh, an application page if they want to, uh, go ahead and apply. We'll book a call with them. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And uh, they can also reach out to me if they already know me and want to want to ask about the Absolutely. training. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it, it is truly a beautiful body of work that is being created here. And I am very grateful to be part of it. So I have one last question mm-hmm. um, for each of you. So I guess you could each answer individually. But what does it mean to you to live a liberated life? I can go first. For me, it is to live as a sovereign individual, fully empowered, fully sovereign, fully responsible for all the good, all the bad, and all the in-between that comes into my life. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I should have gone first. Because <laughs> it was that. That's why I went <laughs> he totally first. took my answer. <laughs> he, he took it. Um, yes, I would, I would reflect that. For me, to be liberated is to recognize... Um, that it, that it is my creation. You know, I have a tattoo on my arm that's Plata o Plomo, which is the silver or the lead. And there's a, a long story behind it, but essentially it is the reminder that the choice is always mine, right? Um, even if somebody put a gun to my head and said, do this or else, or else is still an option. It is still my choice. It may be a weighted choice, but it is mine. And that's, for me, what I would call a liberated life. Thank you both so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. This is how the channel grows, and I couldn't do it without you. So I'm very grateful for your engagement and for your willingness to share this show with the people that you care about. If you want to take the next step, be sure to go to zenstoic.com to get the sovereign awareness technique. This technique is a free technique that will show you how to develop a deep sense of self-trust and intuition so that you can make effective decisions that are authentic for you. So be sure to go to zenstoic.com to get the sovereign awareness technique or go ahead and click the link in the show notes below.